Well, happy Wednesday, everybody. And it's so good to get to be with you on what I'm going to call, to us at least, a special, special version of our Wednesday night service. Part of which is because we're getting ready for Thanksgiving. Uh, we're in countdown mode to Thanksgiving, one of my favorite holidays. But this year, Thanksgiving's extra special. And let me tell you why. Because one of my guests that is here today, Chris Dade, with his wife, Priscilla. But Chris is an elder, and I'm an elder at our church. And here's the thing I want you to know. We have been fasting for 40 days, and it's coming to an end. The fast has been incredible, but the ending's always better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is. Isn't it, Chris? Yes. And what um, have you been fasting from? Um, sodas, caffeine. So I've just been um, not drinking any kind of carbonation drinks and stuff like that, so I really can't wait. So we're in countdown mode till you get it back. Yes, I'm looking forward for a nice big tall glass of Coke. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing a soft white bread or soft bread, period. So I am planning on getting a double-double with a bun. Uh, so <laughs> I cannot wait to do that. So anyway, whatever you do for Thanksgiving, I hope you love it. I hope you're thankful, and I hope God blesses you in an incredible way. Uh, but again, we want to dig into our study tonight in the churches of Revelation. We're going to talk about a very serious topic. Uh, that Jesus wants us to be aware of. And I can't wait to get into that with you. But we always want to prepare ourselves, or most always want to prepare ourselves, by having a time of worship. And uh, our SIA team, College Young Adult Team, SIA, uh, covered a song by Elevation Worship called Quiet. And I feel like as we enter into the holiday season where there's so much stress, that it's a good idea sometimes to quiet yourself and just hear from God. Quiet yourself and find his peace. I uh, was sharing with Priscilla and also Tracy, who's my assistant, that uh, it hit me in my quiet time that we all need to de-stress. Why? Because we're so distressed. But what's the difference between distressed and de-stressed? You have to take out the eye. <laughs> and you like that, right? That was good. That's like a mic drop right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know what? When we actually you know, t set ourselves aside get close to God and care about others, that's when the quietness comes. So get ready to be blessed as our SIA team brings you this incredible worship song. And I can't seem to win All these crazy thoughts and feelings It's like it never ends Until your voice breaks through my noise And I know I'm not alone, not alone You will find my battles If I will just be still Why would I keep running?
I love that song. I love that song. And I love the way Jalissa sings that. Uh, There's times, honestly, I put it on and just sit there and think about the Lord and experience his presence. And Lauren Proust was also on that video, who, by the way, if you go to YouTube and hunt for Lauren Proust, uh, you can find some amazing music out there also. But I I love the talent that God has brought to our church. And that's part of what I'm thankful for. Uh, And so, you know what? We want to be a church that's constantly thankful. Uh, We're thankful for all the blessings God gives us, even the trials, which also are a blessing. And on Thanksgiving's time, thank Thanksgiving season, it's a time to be thankful. But as I think about the idea of taking the eye out of distress and de-stressing, part of that means I'm going to do what? I'm going to care about other people. Uh, Because whenever we get blessed by God, I wore the shirt today, we're blessed to be a blessing. And uh, our church today got an opportunity to try to be a blessing to, uh, uh, to the people of Haiti. Um, I don't know if you're thinking about it, but when the earthquake hit, and, and by the way, the earthquake hit right after their government fell. Uh, the, the, catastrophe, the catastrophe of the earthquake was far worse because of the fact they had no infrastructure uh, to be able to help their people. And the good news is churches are there. Churches are caring. The bad news is we just recently heard of a pastor shot. Uh, we know of 19 missionaries kidnapped uh, and now still have not been found. And, and so we know all that is going on, and yet Christians are there 
making a difference. So uh, this weekend, our goal was to be a part of that. Our goal was to be a blessing, supporting them and helping people in need. And so we shot and with the idea of hitting a goal of feeding 70,000 people. 70,000 uh, with food that's nutritious, with food that has hot, long shelf life, uh, with food that'll make a difference in a family. And all the food that we ended up uh, getting ready and packing was going, is planned to go to a church and a mission group that will make sure it's safely given to people and not taken, by the way, which the danger is, is sold on the black market uh, or just taken and hoarded by other people. So this is a chance to really be a part of making a difference. So we're thankful for that. We're thankful that God has blessed us and we're thankful that we get an opportunity to make a difference. And so, you know, uh, um, I don't know if you're like Pam and I, uh, but we love to give to God faithfully of our tithes. We also love to give special offerings whenever uh, God blesses us. And in this season, uh, Pam and I are doing that. I would hope that a lot of you are too. I also, by the way, I love to say this, I'm thankful for the people on Wednesday night that this is your time to give your offering. I see how faithful you are. I watch how, how carefully you give. And I, I want you to know you're a blessing to Crossroads and a part of carrying on the mission. So right now, if that's you or you want that to be you, then text GIVE to 77247. Text GIVE to 77247 or go to crossroadschurch.family and there's a place there you can click on I want to give. By the way, to me, it's 77247. Uh, my assistant Tracy said it's 77247. <laughs> but T Tracy just got back from Disneyland and she's sore. Uh, so like, not, war, I mean, her body couldn't handle Disneyland. So it's 77247, okay? <laughs> she's not here to see this. <laughs> she's hiding behind the door. Anyway, okay. So I'm super excited for what we're going to dive into right now. And uh, tonight in the midst of the sermon and, and then towards our end, I want you to hear Chris and Priscilla Dade's story. We are blessed. I am thankful you're a part of our church family. We're thankful you're a part of our church family. And I'm thankful that you're on our eldership, Chris. Well, thank you. It's a blessing for me as well. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. And don't you feel like big things are coming? Oh, yes. And just seeing the changes around here and how we're impacting here locally as well as uh, internationally, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, Priscilla, I love how you are, you, you really, your emotions are so pure and perfect and beautiful, but they come out, they come out. And I love that. And so I know you're moved about the fact of the people we're helping. Yes, definitely. I love what the church is doing for the community and just outreaching. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So in the book of Revelations is where we are. Uh, by the way, the Revelations is my favorite book in the Bible. And in Revelation chapter one, uh, we're told that anybody who reads, hears, and then heeds the, the teachings of this book will get a special blessing. Uh, and so you're blessed whenever you read any of the Bible, but Jesus himself wanted you and I to know there's something special that happens when you read the book of Revelation, when you understand what's written in it, uh, and then when you heed and actually take uh, and apply it to your life in a special way. And so then in Revelation chapter one, at the very end of that, Jesus gives us the outline to the book of Revelation. And the outline is this. John was to write the things which he had seen the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. Now, the things he had seen is chapter one. The things which are is chapters two and three, which is the, the seven churches that existed in that day that Jesus would write letters to them about what was happening in their day and their time. But 
what I want you to know, that applies very much. That affects incredibly well to our day and our time. And what we're about to talk about uh, tonight really applies. And we really need to take it to heart. We really don't want to miss it. So I want to bring up a map and show you. Here's where these seven churches are. Uh, they're in modern-day Turkey is what we call it right now. And if you look, you can see what happened is Jesus had a letter written by John the Apostle to the church in Ephesus. And so he addressed them in chapter 2 in the very beginning of the chapter. He followed that by a letter written to the church in Smyrna who was in there enduring incredible persecution. Uh, and Jesus told them it's going to get worse, which I think is interesting. But he said, I want you to be prepared for that. Because you know what? Sometimes you and I need to prepare, be prepared for things that are coming our way that are going to be difficult because we're not shielded from difficulty. And Jesus gives a very real answer and a very real clear application for how they can handle that. Then he rounds the bend, if you watch the map, to the church in Pergamos. And uh, that church was one that were doing things Jesus did not like. So when we read Revelation 2 and 3, it always opens up with what Jesus is like. It describes him. Then it tells us what Jesus likes. And Jesus talks about the things he likes. And then it says what Jesus doesn't like. If that's happening in one of those churches or to one of those churches, then Jesus always gives the solution to how to handle whatever they're going through. And so when we come to the church of Pergamos, uh, we're going to begin to understand what Jesus wants us to know. And so we want to be able to dig into that. Uh, by the way, we're going to start with what Jesus is like what Jesus is like. Uh, by the way, uh, I got to tell you this because it hit me as I was getting ready for the study. One time, Pam and I went on uh, vacation to Kauai and we had saved up, saved up, saved up and got to go to Kauai, which is one of the islands of Hawaii. And so we got there and now one of my friends has a church there. So we went to the church and I opened up their bulletin and I went, oh my, this is like the perfect day to be here. Because you know what the topic was? Uriah's here. You know what the topic was? Wives submit your husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at Pam going, hey, hey. <laughs> it's a God moment, Pam. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Is you guys know Pam. Uh, uh, Pam, it, it's kind of hard being married to Pam. <laughs> yeah. Pam, I know you're, it's kind of hard being married to you. Now, let me tell you why. Oh because like, if I am, I have, if we are in a restaurant, we have a really good server mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, I'm going to really go above and beyond. I'm going to tip $20. Pam's going to be like, no, I'll tip a hundred. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then well, one time, I, I, we, had, we have this fund, a, a Ramsey fund that we use to help people. And it had built up. And I was like thinking, man, there's this young couple I want to help. So I thought, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give them $1,000. And Pam goes, I think we ought to give them a car. I'm oh, like, what? Wow. It, it's hard being married to Pam. <laughs> like you can oh, never see. one up Pam. Oh, you know? Like you. <laughs> one time, I, I, there was a person in the hospital. And I thought, hey, let's go visit them. And Pam wants to give them an organ. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> the other two are true. <laughs> but but so here's where I'm going. Whenever we think about Jesus, I think too often we act like Jesus is so far above us, we can't be like him. Mm -hmm. Would you guys think that's true? That, mm -hmm. you know, you're thinking, you know, when, when I say, hey, you know, Jesus is our example, but we're like, we can never measure up. We can never get there. But what I want you to know is the Bible calls for us to be Christ-like. In Romans, it actually says this. It says that it is God's predestined desire 
for you and I to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, to be like Jesus. So whenever we read what Jesus is like in the book of Revelation, we can, we can, the Holy Spirit can get us there. You know, are we perfect? No. But can we grow into Christ-likeness? Can we get to that place? And so in the church of Pergamon, we get the beginning of where Jesus said, here's what I'm like. And in chapter 2, verse 12, it says this. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Now, you and I can have a sharp two-edged sword. Now, what does that mean? The sharp two-edged sword is the word of God. And so Jesus obviously knows God's word because he is God's word. Uh, Jesus obviously knows everything in the Bible because he basically wrote the Bible. But you and I can study the Bible. You and I can take the Bible in and make it so much a part of who we are that we have the ability to speak scripture in ways that bring change in our lives and the lives of people we love and even the lives of people we interact with. And so Jesus is saying this to this church. He's about to tell them in a few minutes, you need to change. But he says, how you're going to get there is because of a sharp two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says this. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. See, when Jesus was on earth, we see that no one could win an argument with him, which I think is so interesting. Every single time they went to argue with him, he won, which is why. Have you guys thought about this? It says when he was standing before Pontius Pilate, he did not utter a word. Because if he had of, Pontius Pilate would have let him go. But he couldn't be let go. He had to go to the cross. He had to die for us. But Jesus, because he actually speaks the word of God and has it as a sharp two-edged sword, he could have won any argument, even that one. And out of a love for you and out of a love for me, he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to to utter a word in this moment because he would have been let off. Mm -hmm. By the way, because he was innocent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he could have won against the Pharisees then. But you and I would have lost. And so uh, for the joy set before him, it says in Hebrews 12, he went to the cross, uh, not uh, despising all the shame that would come with it, uh, but he kept his mouth silent. Why? Because he wanted you and I uh, to be able to get there. Now, where I'm going back to, though, is Jesus now is not keeping silent. When he gets ready to talk to the church of Pergamum, he says, I'm going to give you a message, and it's going to be like a sharp two-edged sword. It's going to be like a sharp two-edged sword. And it says here in Hebrews 4 that that sharp two-edged sword cuts to the very heart of the matter. It goes to the deepest part of who we are. Now, what I want you to know is when Jesus has the sword, it's not used to maim. It's not used to just hack and hurt and kill. It's more like a a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon that meant to bring healing. And so when Jesus said, you don't want to know what I'm like, I, I have a sharp two-edged sword, but it's going to bring healing. It's going to cut all the way down to the depths of what we need to deal with, to the very heart of the matter. But when it does, the point again is so that you can be free, so you can be healed, so you can be changed. And he's going to deal with some things that need to be changed in this particular church and needs to be changed in churches today, needs to be changed in Christians today. Some of you deal with this, you know, and, and, and the Lord couldn't love you more than he does. But I want you to know that's what he does, and we need to be able to do that. So that's what Jesus is like. Now, what is Jesus like? 
What is Jesus like? I always think about how all these different people like different things. Chris and I share something. We like we like smoking meat. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Don't you love it? Oh, yes. Briskets, ribs, try to just name it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know what cracks me up? I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, Carrie Underwood is uh, is vegan. She's a Christian, and she's vegan. And her husband, Je- I think his name's Jeff, is is into hunting and smoking meat. <laughs> he actually leads a ministry, a hunting smoking meat ministry. So we're not having Carrie Underwood here ever. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. So you know what we like? We like meat. What is Jesus uh, like? Here's what he says: It's this. He says in Revelation 2.13 about the church in Pergamum, he said, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now notice he calls this area, this place where uh, Pergamum is actually uh, geographically located, he calls that where Satan's throne is and where Satan dwells. And he said, but yet in the midst of that, in that environment, you actually have held fast to me. You've actually been faithful to me. Now, when he calls it Satan's throne, why does he call it that? Uh, Pergamum was considered one of the greatest cities of its day, not in commercial aspects, but in cultural influence. So you know how we refer to the idea of Hollywood. You know, and we usually, by that, we don't mean the city. We mean the idea of the influence that Hollywood can bring. Well, Pergamum was the Hollywood of their day. Uh, and people would go there uh, to find fashion trends. They would go there uh, to find out what was going to be the newest thing. But they would also go there to worship in a place called the Temple of Asclepius. Now, this is really intriguing to know, that it was a place of healing place if you were sick and you wanted to get well, you would go there. So they were famous for their medicine. They were famous for their ability to bring healing. But a big part of the way they brought healing was a little freaky. And here's what it was. When you went to the temple of Asclepius, it was built, basically what you could see would be on top of the ground, but you would have to descend way down under the ground into cavernous areas, into kind of caves that they interacted all throughout this temple area. It was big. It was really big. Mm-hmm. And so what would happen is you'd go through a time of their ceremonial cleansing. And then when you were dressed in the robes they wanted you to be dressed in, you would go walking down into this huge uh, uh, underground area. And as you did, there were holes in the roof. And the holes did two things. One is it let air circulate. So as you stepped in, it would be like this cool air would come over you. And it would cool you down, which actually would be probably good for you physically. Then they also had young girls who would just kind of sing melodic music. So you hear elevator music, uh, which I don't know if that helps or not. But, um, but, but, but you would hear these kind of soothing, peaceful sounds as you're walking. Then you would go down into this very cold area and it would open up and you would go and lay on the ground in the place that was chosen for you. And then what they would do when it became that time, basically night, is they would open up all these grates all around the area and snakes would come crawling in. Now, the snakes would seek out warmth, the human warmth of the human body, and they would curl up all around the people and you would lay there. Oh, Uriah's loving this and Priscilla. Yeah, and they would lay there all night long and then supposedly the, the sickness would go to the snakes and, and you'd be set free. 
uh, of it. I think you probably have a lot of other reactions in that <laughs> moment too. Uh, but people paid a lot of money to do that. Uh, by the way, I want to show it to you. Here's the symbol that would be on the temple of Asclepius. Uh, if you guys can see that, I, I want you to probably ask you a question. What does it remind you of? And it hopefully reminds you of uh, our symbol for medicine and doctors in our day and time. This is where we got it from. Some people think we got it from the Bible. The truth is we probably didn't, almost for sure didn't. It actually is looking back to the time of Asclepius and what he did. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss. It seemed so good to the people then. It seemed so helpful. It seemed so freeing. But the reality is it wasn't. And, and so what happened is it was a way to trap people into what was very real satanic worship. And uh, in their day and their time, they dwelled where Satan's throne was. And, and believe it or not, the teachings of Satan seemed so good to them that they began to propagate those and influence those all around the world. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, we're told something about the devil. And it says in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, talking about all of us, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Uh, the phrase I don't want you to miss there, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. Now, what does that have to do with? That has to do with the idea of the air of influence. Now, back when this was written, uh, the writers, I'm sure, knew air in and of itself didn't do anything to you. But there was belief that had circulated that gave birth to this idea of an air of influence. In other words, if you were around somebody, you would pick up an air about them. Have you ever heard that term before? Okay, no, I'm older than you guys. Yeah, in my days, we used to use that term. You, you never did either. Okay, nobody here has, um, but me and my old friends. Um, but the idea of the air of influence goes back to this, and it's the idea that, you know what, there's, there's things that come out of Hollywood that influence the world. Uh, there's things that come out of other places that are influencers. We call them influencers mm -hmm. today because they bring an air of influence to influence people. And the Bible says that underneath all of that is Satan. Satan's always seeking to create influence in people's lives towards things that aren't good for them. Um, just today, uh, I was given an article that I read from a local high school paper. Uh, and, and by the way, the girl who wrote it, uh, from reading the article, she seems brilliant. I mean, she really seems sharp. Um, but the article was about why the students of her high school should actually accept the teachings of the satanic temple. Um, and she uh, talked about how you may be surprised at those teachings. Uh, she talked about the fact that her mother's a Christian, but yet now she believes in these teachings more than her mother's beliefs. And she even said, I'm not a Satanist yet. Um, and then she encourages everybody else to delve into that. Now, let me say this. If you read the article, you're probably going to go, whoa, this seems so caring. This seems, that's how it's written. But if you understand the teachings of the Satanic temple, you see underneath it a form of evil that you can't imagine is even being propagated today. But it is. And it has to do with Use your body for anything you want to use your body for, any form of immorality you want. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do anything with your body sexually that you want to do or in any other way. And then it has to do with 
one of the greatest tragedies of all, the taking of the life of an unborn child through abortion. And uh, even though it, she tried to make the article sound good, and, and I think she even sees it that way, I think that might have been her intention. I think there's a misunderstanding of how hurtful and painful and evil that is. The sacrifice of babies has always been one of the worst forms of evil that has ever existed in a world. And uh, you know what? Is in Pergamum, they dwelt where Satan's throne is. I believe today in the United States, Satan's throne is, is at least close, if not where we live today. And we do not want to be influenced by that. Jesus doesn't like it when we are. He likes it when we're found faithful. And so Jesus wants us to remain faithful. By the way, this church remained faithful not only in the influence that was around them, but in the attacks that were made on them. Uh, in verse 13, it says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Uh, last week, I talked about Polycarp, who died faithfully for the Lord. Antipas was someone else who died faithfully for the Lord. And uh, when you read about Antipas, I want to make sure everybody knows what happened to him. Antipas was the leader of the church of Smyrna. He was a very, very godly man. And uh, by the way, his death unleashed an opportunity for Satan to infect the church in a horrible way. But Antipas, while he was alive, kept the church pure and kept the church headed in the right direction. And here's what's so, so sad about that. Because he was so known, because he was so strong, he was arrested. And they threatened him and said, you will die if you do not deny Jesus and if you do not worship Caesar. Uh, and so what happened, Antipas would not give in. Antipas would not uh, be moved into that. Antipas stayed faithful and kept preaching and preaching and preaching uh, no matter what. And so that Antipas, uh, by the way, uh, it was um, someone who said he would never, ever, ever uh, be found unfaithful to Jesus Christ. And then so what happened is they said this to Antipas. They said, Antipas, the world is against you. And he said these words that Antipas is against the world. And they sentenced him to death. And the way he was killed is there was a huge brass bull, huge, but it was hollow on the inside. And they opened it up and they shoved him inside and they closed it shut and they lit a fire underneath until the bull became white hot, which meant as he was in there, his skin would start sticking uh, to it. The heat would begin to burn his lungs and he would die a very painful death. At any moment, they told him, if you pound on it, we'll let you out. But he never did. Wow. He never said, let me out. Because he was never, ever going to deny the Lord. And so I want you to be aware that Jesus saw that. Jesus was aware of how faithful he was. And he said, when that happened to him, he said, you as a church still stayed true to me, at least outwardly. He goes, but I have some things I don't like. Jesus likes certain things. There's certain things he doesn't like. And in Revelation chapter two, verse 14, it says this, but I have a few things against you because you have some, not all. Now, this is the thing. You only have a few. You have some in your midst, some in the church who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of immorality. Notice that idolatry and immorality. So that you, you also have some there who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which I've already taught about 
in our first message, and you can go and hear that. You have some in your church who are holding to the teachings of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of God. Uh, Balaam is found in the book of Numbers as someone who can hear from God very clearly. That's wild to me. He could literally sit and God would speak to him and he knew every word God was speaking. And what happened is there was a king named Balak. So there's Balaam, who's the prophet, and Balak, who's the king. And Balak was afraid of the children of Israel as they were going on an exodus from Egypt where God had freed them to the land of the, the promised land, the holy land. As they came near Balak's kingdom, he thought, I want them destroyed, but he knew they were too powerful. He knew God was with them. And so he thought, what I need to do is I need to have them to be moved from being under a blessing to being put under a curse. So he called for Balaam, the prophet of God, and he sent people to him and said, I'll pay you an incredible amount of money if you will come and curse these people. And Balaam said, well, let me ask God. And he asked God, he said, can I go and curse these people? And God said, no, they're under my hand of blessing. So he said, I won't go. They said, we'll offer you more money. He said, even if you offer me more money, I'm not going to go. So they go back to Balak and they say, he won't come. He said, you send even more influential people and offer even more money. And they come back and they say to Balaam, and he's now more influential people, more important people come offering even more money. And uh, he said, let me talk to God, which by the way, he shouldn't have said that. That was the time he blew it. Mm-hmm. And, and he went to the Lord and he said, can I go? And the Lord said, you can go, but only speak the words I tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he went to them and said, I'll, I'm going to leave tomorrow. You guys go back and tell Balak I'm coming. They all take off so excited that he's going to go. The next morning he gets up. God had told him, you can go only if you speak the words I tell you. So he's riding on a donkey, heading to see the king who was Balak. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord stands in his path, ready to kill him in a second. And the donkey sees it. The donkey can see the angel. And the donkey gets really afraid and begins to turn and begins to to go off in the wrong direction on him. And so what happened is Balaam gets really upset by that. And he begins to hit the donkey. And then uh, the donkey then looks up and the angel's gone. Then it appears again. And the donkey freaks out. And then it goes and begins to try to get away. And as it does, it rubs Balaam's uh, leg against the rocks that were there. And now Balaam's really mad. He's hitting the donkey because he can't see it. Then the angel of the Lord appears again, appears again, ready to kill Balaam. You, by the way, you might be asking why. Because he was not going to speak the words God told him. And so God thought, that's it. I was clear. You only speak the words I tell you. Well, when the donkey sees the angel, it runs out into a field into the midst of all these stickers. And they're hurting Balaam as he goes. And Balaam gets off. The donkey lays down. And now he's beating the donkey. And my favorite part of the story is this. In the King James Version, the donkey says it this way. Why do you beateth me thrice? <laughs> In other words, why have you beaten me three times? And, and here's the funniest part of the story. And Balaam just starts talking to him. Balaam doesn't step back going, whoa, the donkey talked. He's like, because you know what? The reason is you hurt me. And he's going, he, and it's not, he's actually carrying on a conversation with the donkey. And, uh, and, and then the angel of the Lord appears to him where he can see him and says, that donkey saved your life. Because if it wasn't for him, I would have struck you dead. He said, but only go and say the words God tells you you can say. So what happens is Balaam goes and God won't allow him to curse the people of Israel. And he leaves. But something happens in the chapters in between in Numbers. 
And here's what it is. He thinks about this somehow and thinks, huh, I can't curse them, but I can get them to be a curse unto themselves. Listen to this. Please don't miss it. I can't curse them, but I can get them to be a curse unto themselves by the answer is I'll get them involved in idolatry and immorality. Then God will curse them. Why? Because Jesus himself doesn't like that. That's what he's saying to this church, by the way. He's saying for all the good you have, the fact there's idolatry and immorality in your midst, I, I'm ready to, 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 to see you punished. The curse is coming upon you. Why? Because you're a curse unto yourself. So what happens is Balaam goes back to Balak and he says, send in all of your young women to seduce the men and just go ahead and be sexually immoral with them, party with them, get drunk with them, create this partying atmosphere and God, God will then take off his hand of blessing and they'll become a curse unto themselves. And that's what happens. And so that begins to occur. And so Jesus said, you have people in your church who are doing the same thing. You have people in your church who are actually saying it's okay to be idolatrous and greedy. And, and by the way, Colossians 3 verse 5 says this, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So almost all of us would say, oh, I'm, I'm not a person. I would never do idolatry. Well, when you're greedy, you do. When you're greedy, you are. And so you know what? Um, when you say, for instance, and I'm going to not hold back on this, when the Lord tells you very clearly that you're to give a tithe to him, the first 10%, and you're greedy and keep it, that's idolatry. You're worshiping money and you're worshiping self. Uh, when you put your children ahead of God, that's idolatry. God wants you to love your kids, but you can't love your kids more than God. Uh, if you put your spouse ahead of, your, uh, of God, then that's idolatry. Uh, when you put your house, I, I can't tell you how many people I talk to somebody and say, hey, we haven't seen you at church in a while. Well, we got a lot of repairs to do on our house. I'm like, what? <laughs> then you're, that's called idolatry, where I'm worshiping my house over God. And it's based on greed. It's based on materialism. And you know what? When that happens, you actually become a curse unto yourself. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't want that. And then there's immorality. Mm -hmm. Um when I, I discover that a couple uh, calls themselves Christians, but they're living together outside of marriage. And God's clear on that. No, you, you, the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Then you know what we always do? We challenge them in a loving way to say, you've got to get this right. Either break up or get married. And by the way, I always say this to them. I'll marry you for free. You just come here, I'll marry you for free. But get right with God. Or if we find out some of our single people in our church are, are becoming sexually active. And, 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 and you know what? That makes you a curse unto yourself. And in 1 Corinthians 6.13, it says, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. And so what happens is God is warning you and warning me that when you become sexually immoral, you become a curse unto yourself, which by the way, that's what that young girl didn't realize is that the church of Satan, the satanic uh, church, is for just unbridled immorality. Any kind of sex outside of marriage you want, just go do it. And you know, they'll say because it's loving, because it's your body and you can choose to do with it. And God says, no, that's not your body, it's my body and your body is not for immorality. And please don't be deceived. Please don't be deceived. First Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then I love this verse. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of God. Here's what I want to tell you is that God brings change. God brings change. And so what happens is a lot of people say to me, well, no, no, they can't change. I actually have someone say, well, you know what? I I was born this way. And I thought, well, then change. (laughs) You know, by the way, many, many people are born with a bad temper. Would we say, well, you're born that way? No, we'd say change. Uh, Many people are born with a predisposition to addictive behavior, uh, alcohol or other things. Would we say, well, you're born that way. Just go with it. Nope. We say change. Uh, when someone says I was born LGBTQI or whatever, I'll say, you know, I don't even know if I agree with that, but let me just tell you, God has something better and God is the God of change. God is the God of change and we all can change and God's only calling for that. Why? Because he has your best interest at heart. He has the best for you in mind and he wants that to be true to you. And so Jesus now has a solution for them and it's in Revelation chapter two, verse 16. And what does Jesus say? He says to these people who were caught up in idolatry and immorality, he says, therefore repent or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. The sword of his mouth is that sharp two-edged sword. But notice he said, therefore repent. Repent is one of the most beautiful words in all the Bible. I, I, you guys hear me say this all the time. Uh, matter of fact, Chris, you know, as an elder, sometimes people will tell the elders, they'll say, Pastor Chuck doesn't preach on repentance. But I'm like, I preach on repentance every week. <laughs> but what their meaning is, I'm supposed to stand and condemn people. But that's not what repent means. Repent means you can change, you can change, you can change. That literal meaning of the words go a different direction. Mm -hmm. And you know what Jesus said? No matter where you are, you can come to something better. You can change. And he says to this church, I have a solution for all the things I don't like. You can change. You can change. Uh, One of the reasons I wanted you guys here today is because, um, you know, you've been willing to share your story. And uh, your story says to me, that there are certain things that hurt your marriage, almost wrecked your marriage to the point of no return. And then Jesus made a change and called you to change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you did. And today, people go to you to get their marriages better. <laughs> so tell us some of your story. Well, um, we'll give a short version of it. But uh, we met in 1997 over at Cal State Fullerton. Um, in 1998, I had a chance to uh, play professional basketball overseas. So I went overseas to uh, play professional basketball to hopefully get into the NBA. And in 2000, um, we were living in sin, and uh, Priscilla got pregnant. And we wind up, uh, in 2001, uh, Sean was born. And um, at that time, before he was born, I... uh, my basketball career was just barely starting, so I asked her to have an abortion, uh, only because I wanted my uh, I wanted my career. I wanted that particular lifestyle. Um, Priscilla said uh, no; she did not want to get an abortion, and she wanted to have the baby. So at that particular time, I said, "Okay, well then I will at least be there and 
send back money and stuff like that. So I um, went back overseas, and at that time, I started having a double life. Um, double life meaning I had another woman uh, over in another country, uh, another bank account, um, telephone number, stuff like that, that uh, Priscilla didn't, didn't know about. So from there, uh, it got to a point where uh, we were arguing uh, back and forth, and I was just overseas playing in uh, several different uh, countries. But um, it got to a point where I was able to further my career and have another chance to uh, get into the NBA. So, uh, but at that same time, uh, the woman that I was with, uh, I got her pregnant as well. So I asked her for an abortion, and she did. She, uh, she got an abortion, and uh, I was just sitting there thinking, uh, right after dropping her off at the hospital, um, I got to do something, either continue with my basketball career, and I was thinking that that's the best thing for me to do. So I called back home, and I told Priscilla that I wasn't uh, – it was going to be a while before I come back home. I was already gone for eight months, but now I'm going to be gone for another year or two. And uh, she did not quite like that. So uh, with that, uh, she said, well, hey, look, if, if this is your decision, if this is what you're going to do, uh, tell your son. Tell Sean that you won't be coming home this time. So I was like thinking, okay, fine, that's no problem. You know, I'll... Uh, I'll send money back home because, you know, I'm getting ready to make tons of money, all this and that. I'm getting ready to fulfill my dream and, and everything else. And God was constantly talking to us, but, or constantly talking to me. But um, I wasn't listening until he brought my son, uh, until Priscilla put our son Sean on the phone. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, uh, hey, Dad, when are you coming home? You know, still um, soft, sweet, three-year-old voice, just asking, hey, look, Dad, when are you coming home? When am I going to see you? And that struck me right there in the heart. Uh, that was God just being a little bit louder, uh, talking to me, saying, hey, look, son, I want you to come yeah. back home. I want you to be, I want you to change and do things right. So um, I told Sean I'll be home in a couple of days. Totally uh, left the opportunity to uh, get into the NBA and uh, came back home. Uh, I think that was 2004? Mm -hmm. No, because 2005, that's when we got married. And we thought getting married was the solution. Like that would fix everything. Because we still weren't in the church. We still didn't have God in our lives. Um, so after getting married we still had problems. And it was to the point where it got so bad one night that I thought it was over. Like, it, it, I was done. Like, and so I knew growing up in the church, like in a Christian school, went to Saddleback, like, but I didn't have a real relationship with God. I knew about God. I ran into my bedroom one night. It was really pitch black, dark, no lights were on. And I just, I was at my bottom, and I just cried out to God. And 
that moment that I just cried out to him for help, a vision, a bright light came into the room. I get emotional just yeah, talking yeah. about it because I knew it was God. Like, I, I had no doubt that it wasn't God. And I had chills. Like, it just, it was so emotional. And he spoke and he said, without me, your marriage will not last. You need to go to church. You need the church. And at that moment, I didn't even think about it. I just got up. I went outside to him and I said, we need to go to church. If you want this marriage to work, we go to church or we're done. And that's when he... Yeah, a couple of weeks uh, before she had that vision, a friend of mine, um, another basketball player, he was, uh, he said, hey, look, you know, why don't you come to this church that my wife and I are going to? It's up, it's a small church. It's up in uh, San Dimas, which was a good 45 minute drive for us. And uh, he said, why don't you guys come? And at that time, I was like, no, you know what? Uh, I'm okay, you know. But um, now God spoke to Priscilla, and I was like, well, you know what? There is this church that <clears throat> uh, we were asked to come and visit, so uh, let's go ahead and check it out this weekend. So we went there um, that, uh, that Sunday, uh, drove the 45 minutes up there, and... Uh, we fell in love with the church. It was uh, Canyon Breeze. It was uh, Pastor Todd Black, a very great guy. And uh, But I was still living my double life. I didn't want to give that up. Um, so uh, we were going to church every day and, you know, not really uh, serving in other areas or just going up there, just listening mm -hmm. to the sermon and coming back. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, you know, the adversary started throwing uh, more stuff at us. Mm -hmm. uh, our garage got flooded. Uh, I got served uh, for all these past due bills that I, that I owe because uh, now the basketball money was gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were, um, um, yeah, we were just not at a good place. So um, we were going to church, and uh, God was uh, talking to me, talking to me, and and I was driving home, um, talking to uh, the other woman um, overseas, and I was like, if I'm really going to do this, really going to change, then I need to give up everything. I need to really change my ways. Mm -hmm. So I told her that was it. I threw the phone away. I told her she can have the other bank account. Uh, she can have it as hers, and uh, don't call me. That was it. But that wasn't it. <laughs> That's no. when the huge storm happened. That's when I got the phone call. She had called me. Oh. And so as I'm talking to her, I had not realized everything that was going on, that he had that double life. And she told me everything about the abortion, about, you know, what he was doing back then. And before... I have a temper, so before church, I probably would have killed him. <laughs> but because we were in church, because I was going to church and hearing the word of God and being around other believers, I really, truly believe God had me. He was there. He gave me that strength and that, that power to just overcome that conversation. Yeah. And when he came home, he 
knew. Like he he saw me and he was like, "Oh boy." Like yeah, I saw her face. <laughs> <laughs> and the conversation was like I was shocked to my core that I didn't lose it. I just was very calm and I said, "You know what? I'm really sorry for what happened to you." If you need need me to pray for you, I'll pray for you. Like, I, I was a changed woman. Like, God had changed me. And so that was that. And, you know, I told him, I said, we need to go counseling. We need counseling if this is going to. And he denied everything. He didn't. Yeah, he didn't confess. Me. He denied yeah. it till the end. Until a couple of days later, the pastor came to our house the pastor, uh, Pastor Todd, he counseled us. Um, the, I poured into the church. I started doing the worship team, the children's ministry. He did ushering. I mean, we just served. We just did everything. I changed. I was working on myself while he was working on himself. And just serving others really changed my heart. God, like, just because my heart was so broken, it was just, I was just lost. And God came and just healed me. I prayed f for healing. I prayed to, for God to just change him. And because I was so bitter and so hurt for what he did to me, I know it was God. It was all God. Because like you said, I'm so bubbly and happy. I was not always that way. Yeah. And it was because of God. He really, really gave me a new heart. That is so awesome. So awesome. And you know what I think about your guys' story, number one, it's just so incredible, like the vision from God, and it's so powerful. But also, Chris, you use that term that I think is the term that describes too many Christians, double life. So you weren't a Christian then having a double life, but you and I today know there are people in our church, they're saying on the one hand, I love Jesus and trying to live as a Christian, but then what's happening over here is anything but that, which exactly. describes this church. You know, this church said, you know, we're Christians, even to the point of being, you know, sometimes a, a danger of their lives. So it's almost like, hey, I'll take a bullet for Jesus, mm -hmm. but I won't give up my sin for Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, and that double life doesn't work. No. You no. know, yeah. So it almost wrecked your marriage. It did. Uh, made yeah. your children fatherless. Yes. Yeah. And today it's so different. It is so <laughs> different. And I, I feel like because of our trials and our struggles, we don't want it to go in vain, right? Mm -hmm. So we made a promise to God, we're going to serve and we're going to help other people. And so I, I just mm -hmm. had that vision of life group. And I kept telling Chris, we need to do a life group. We need to do a life group. And when we came to Crossroads, I was like, Let, we did Fuse when it first came. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and we loved Fuse. And then when that died, we're like, we need something. There, there has to be something else. And then we, Life Group came, and we're like, we need to do it. We need to do it. And he, keep, he kept fighting it. And then finally, he was like, no more excuses, no more school, no more, none, none, no excuses. And he's like, okay, let's just do it. And now we just, we love our Life Group. Our life group is amazing. We love the people that just, God just sends to us. We pray, you know, we always pray. Like, God, send us the right couples that we can pour our love to and we can help yeah. their marriage. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing what God does with your trials and your struggles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I know people in your life group, but they love it. They love it. Oh. And, it and it's just so incredible to know, for me, like if I send somebody to you guys, I know that not only you as a couple, but your group is someone who's gonna come around them, love on them and help them discover what God has for them. And that's what you're doing for so many people. Yeah. 
Yeah, life group change helped us. So we know how important life group is. Without life group, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I was uh, think I appreciate you sharing your story, but I watched something happen, Uh, and I and I knew this would occur as you went into the past. I could just see you guys kind of going down emotionally, and that's that's what it should be if you're honest. Yeah. Yeah. And then the minute you started talking about what God's doing in your life, you came right out of that. Yes. Because that's where you are today. I think that. You're a picture of what Jesus wants for every single person, yeah. you know, and, and I would say right now, I'm going to already guess, I already know the answer, is that if you, if you, if the Lord came and said, I'll give you a choice, you can go back to the old life or be in the new one. <laughs> that was, that would be easy. That yeah. would be easy. Because they don't compare. No. Yeah. No. They just don't compare. No, I was so yeah. unhappy then. Yeah. I'm just, I mean, I love him more now than ever. And I know it's because... I know God's love. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> and by the way, for every one of you, what I want you to know is that Jesus loves you, but he also is not going to leave you in a place where you're living a double life. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Christian and you're living a double life, the way that Chris just talked about it, um, however it is for you, I want to tell you the Lord wants you to repent. Uh, he loves you. He cares about you and he wants you to repent. He died on the cross. So you could be freed from sin. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Those who are immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are caught up in any of those other lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's, you can say, I prayed a prayer. Well, that prayer didn't mean anything if you didn't mean it. Because I got baptized, didn't mean anything. You just got wet if you didn't mean it. You got to really mean it. You got to really mean it. And so you know what? It's time right now to let go of the double life. Why? Because Jesus likes it when you're faithful to him. He doesn't like it when you're not. And so he calls for every one of us to repent. In Revelation 2.17, this is how Jesus ends his letter to the church of Pergamum. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Uh, real quickly, what does that mean? He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to give you some of the hidden manna. I'm going to feed you with the bread of heaven is what he's saying. Your life is, see, you guys have that now. Mm-hmm. It's like the bread of heaven coming into your life, which gives you joy, mm-hmm. which gives you love, which gives you purpose. And he said, I'm going to give that to you. Then he said this, I'll give you a white stone. Back then, when you went to court, the jury had either a black or a white stone and when it came time to vote, whether someone was a, uh, innocent or guilty, they passed a bag and then they would dump out the bag. And if there were white stones, it meant the person was innocent. And the Lord said, I'm giving you a white stone. I'm declaring you completely innocent. And what he did for you guys, he declared your marriage completely new. You know, you're innocent, new, washed in the blood of Christ, not only individually, but as a couple, as a family. And that's what he'll do for you. So it's not about holding on to your past or or having that held over your head. It's about being freed from it. And the Lord will give you a white stone. And then this is my favorite part of that verse. And I'll give you a new name. And that name's written on your stone. And no one knows that name, but the Lord and me and the Lord are you. When we get to heaven, you guys, God's got a name for you. And it's a very special personal name. That's how much he loves you. 
And that speaks to Jesus who loves you in a very personal way. And he wants you to have a personal relationship with him. So right now, if you've never committed your life to Christ, you know what? Just like Chris did back then, you know what? That was brand new for him. And and everything changed when he did make that commitment. Or maybe you need to recommit more like Priscilla, even though you never really had it, but you had enough background to it. And then you came back and and you committed your marriage to the Lord. Recommit yourself to the Lord. But if in any way you're living a life, either as a non-believer or a believer, but it's a double life, come to Jesus in a real way. How do you do that? Well, you pray. And right now, I'd love to lead you in a prayer, a prayer where you'd say yes to Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for uh, Chris and Priscilla's story and how that's the story of so many people who were in a place that was not good for them. And Lord, then they found your love, they found your cleansing, they found your healing, and they found you guiding them on a path to a place that was great for them. And I thank you for knowing them today and and the blessing they are to so many, but how they're being so blessed by you. And I pray right now for some other people who are out there that need that also. They need your love and they need to leave that double life they're living or they need to live a life that's so against what you would want them to have, what is for them. So I pray right now that wherever they are or whenever they're watching this, that your Holy Spirit would move. Lord, that you would just be touching them and stirring inside them. Maybe there's someone watching right now, Lord, who didn't even plan to watch this video, but somehow it popped up. And it's it's so for them. I pray right now they're gonna commit their lives to you. Maybe it's somebody who's sitting there going, you know what, I am doing that. I say I'm a Christian and there's so much about church I'm involved in, but I'm holding back in this area and it's not good. Maybe right now they'll pray this prayer. I hope they do. If that's you, if you need to say yes to the Lord, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. Please forgive me and cleanse me from all my sins. Please heal me from hurt and from pain. Please free me. Please free me from anything or anyone that would hold me down or hold me back. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes to you. And if those are the only words you can say, say it. Say, I say yes. I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God. And you know what? I love it when you do that, but I want you to know, you need to let us know. You matter to us. You matter to God. So you need to let us know you did it. How can you do that? You can text the word amen, which means the truth, to 77247. 77247. Just right away, text amen. And we're going to get back to you. We want to find out who you are. We want to send you a free book that we believe will help you in these coming days. It's free. It's our gift to you. So amen to 77247. Or you can go to crosswordschurch.family and click on I said yes. But if you did that, man, praise God. We love you. And we can't wait to have you truly as a part of our church family. And by the way, what I want to say to you again is 
Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, we hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving. I also hope, though, you have a great Advent season. Advent means the arrival. It's where we celebrate the arrival of Christ. And on November 28th, we are starting an Advent journal together. There's still time to get it. You can go to Amazon.com and search Chuck Boer, and there's the Advent journal there. Click on that, and then uh, it'll come to you in plenty of time. Start November the 28th. It's a short devotion every day. And uh, you could do it alone. You could do it with family. You could do it with friends. Uh, you could do it with your kids. But I believe it'll keep your mind focused on that. Plus, we have a special gift to you in those in the Advent Journal, and that are recipes to make the Christmas season more fun. And Chris submitted a recipe, right? Yes, I did. A nice brisket recipe as well as a cream brulee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So those. So you get meat and dessert. <laughs> so yeah, they're they're really really good. I put some recipes in there too. Yeah. Uh, Fleming's potatoes and yes. uh, fudge. Uh, really good fudge. So they're in there just for fun. Plus, we have something called Mission Advent that will challenge you to do every day of the week, which, by the way, will be fun. And it'll make it even more meaningful. We get to do that as a church. So get your Advent journal and get ready for Advent. And uh, if you're on campus or online, November the 28th, that night, we light the Christmas tree. Yes. Which Do you guys love that? I oh, love, love that. that. Yeah, it's like my, one of my favorite things we do as a church event. family. Yes. So you get to be a part of that too. So God bless you. Take care and see you soon. Thanks again for joining us. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we hope you'll text AMEN to 77247 so we can provide you with the resources to help you on this journey. If this message resonated with you or you need prayer for something, would you let us know in the comments below? Our team reads every comment that comes through and we love interacting with you. If this message added value to your life, click the subscribe button and turn on post notifications so that you'll never miss out on a new message. We're live on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. right here online and Sundays at 9 a.m. and on demand anytime after that. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.